Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 105, a chat with Braxton Cosby from Starchild Comics. On whatever platform you're watching or listening, if you like what you hear, give us a review or a comment. We'd love it if you subscribed and feel free to share with friends. Tonight's episode is brought to you by 4411 Creative Agency. The good folks at 4411 provide custom marketing and flawless execution. Creative is their middle name. Head over to 4411creative.com to find out more. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Kokomo Lantern, a journalistic endeavor focused upon the simple principles of illuminating the good and eliminating the shadows in our local community. Join the Lantern Substack to get access to all Lantern material. Again, tonight, we are chatting with Braxton Cosby from Starchild Comics, and joining me to chat with him is JPP. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, we are comic people here, so we are super excited to talk comics with you tonight. Absolutely. So, Mr. Cosby, where did this whole comics thing start with you? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, I ended up starting a publishing company for books back in 2000. I think we've been out for about 12 years now. Somewhere about maybe 2000, let's say 2014, I think it was. And um, we we were just publishing anything. You know, we were publishing fiction. Uh, We started off with a small stable of authors. And then we did some inspirational stuff. I ended up... um, writing my own science fiction young adult novel and got that off the ground. And then um, I ended up teaming up with a couple of um, celebrities. Uh, well, and, and then they're, they're, you know, small following. One guy was a, um, a Christian um, songwriter and drummer. And I worked with him on his um, autobiography. And then uh, Gail Devers, who is a uh, Olympian, won the hundred meters and, world champion in the, in the hurdles. And I was a hurdler in college. So that was a great big fan moment for me because I was able to work with her on her autobiography. So I ended up also meeting um, the first uh, African-American NASCAR driver. So I ended up having this, this series called My Life and Story. So we wrote it from like a first person narrative. So it would be something you would probably see in like a Lifetime movie or something. So um, we got those going and I met a lot of great authors who wanted to get their books out there. And my goal was to kind of do a um, friend of the uh, of the author. You know, once we get learned the whole publishing ropes, like we didn't want to uh, take advantage of authors. We wanted to help people, you know, say, hey, I want to publish. And why do you want to publish? So we would actually do a, interviews with, with authors and, and see what they were really about, what they wanted to do with their stories. And uh, we gave people very, you know, wealthy, very, very, um, very healthy royalties uh, as far as the books for ebook and paperbacks, because we just wanted to, incentivize them pushing their work because you know as an, as an author unless you have a great marketing team you're going to be responsible for getting your own work out there so we do you know some um low level marketing with you know book trailers and set up author interviews and things like that but it's really on the author's shoulders to get their work out there so as we did that um one of our authors named um Keyshawn Dodds he actually uh had this superhero series that he was working on and it was based on a solo character called Menzuo. And I, I loved um, the background of the story was that him and his friend came up with the idea that he would be 
uh, Menzuo, and his friend would be kind of his uh, companion named Solar. And at the time, his friend was uh, suffering from cancer, and he was trying to fight cancer. So they made uh, this enemy uh, in the book um, named kind of a named after a cancer. And um, his friend ended up passing away because their whole dream was we'll start with books, but man, one day it'd be great to do a comic or something like that. And um, he ended up passing away. But uh, when he told the story to me, I was just so intrigued by it. I feel like it had such a powerful meaning, you know. And then uh, he started giving me the background on the actual narrative from Enzuo himself, you know, kind of uh, this alien who came to Earth as a kid, was adopted by, uh, you know, humans, and he knew nothing about his alien heritage. But over time, he started realizing he had these powers, and then Solar came to visit him and then kind of trained him in this alternate world. So he can become this uh, the, the, uh, the protector of the uh, of the universe kind of thing. So uh, we picked that up and we were rolling with it. And he's gotten up to four novels now in the series. But uh, I said, hey, you know, what do you think about doing that comic thing? You know, and he was still like, yeah, you know, I know it takes a lot of funding and a lot of effort. So I'm cool with just working with the books he had. So when we worked with Keyshawn, uh, he had already written two. So he turned those rights over to us and we came up with new covers and kind of new logos and everything and just rebranded the whole uh, IP. And then I said, you know, I think I'm going to dive in this and start trying to write superhero series as well. Um, Cause at the time I had done a health book, I had done the, the uh, autobiographies with Gail and um, the NASCAR driver and Mike Clemens. And then I was finishing up my trilogy for the star cross saga, which is my uh, young adult, um a science fiction series and then i dove into this concept of writing the cape and the cape was just something crazy i came up with i really liked the watchman and um i was like you know I, I want a gritty superhero story where it's not about you know perfect heroes i wanted people with flaws so people who um readers who might like uh you know um the boys on amazon and and now like i said um the um the series with the watchmen who appreciated having those characters who are very flawed but had a great story to tell and they would really um be interested in it so that's what i did i ended up um writing the cape and the cape is this narrative of you know chicago 2035 one day this storm comes to the city and anybody who was caught in the storm uh the next day they will wake up with superpowers and so you imagine if you give individuals with a lot of you know, issues and insecurities and stuff, and you give them superpowers the next day, how they might react and how, what they might do with that. So some use their powers for good and some use them for evil. And you had these two groups, you know, the capes on one side, dark phase on the other. And they started just kind of going at it and, and killing each other over time. And their numbers started whittling down on both both sides. And then finally, um, they kind of held this secret truce, you know, it was a six on each side to, Hey, you guys go your side. We'll go to our side and that'd be it. Well, if people like me or you, Steve kind of came out one day and was like, Hey, I got superpowers. Then you would be approached by either side. And they said, well, do you want to use this for good or bad? And if you make a mistake and say the wrong thing and the wrong person approach you, they would kill you on site just to keep those numbers down. So the city eventually adopts the superheroes and is like, Hey, you know, we're going to make you guys like celebrities. You know, we're going to put you up in high rises give you endorsements, take care of you guys as long as you just continue to protect the city uh, from crime. So crime really dropped down low. And then uh, the one rule that they couldn't break was that they couldn't kill a human being. So 
in our world of our heroes, we call them supernormals and normals. So humans would be normal and supernormals would be people with special powers. And uh, one day the most powerful superhero in the uh, on the Cape side actually comes on live TV and admits to committing the murder of a hero, of a normal. And so that creates this massive manhunt where you've got Dark Phase trying to hunt him down uh, because they want to recruit him because they think he's turned to the evil side. And you got the capes trying to hunt him down because, you know, he's messing up their livelihood now. So they want to kill him. And you've got the authority trying to bring him to justice. And so it kind of turned into a mystery who done it. And that was um, the first book of the series, which is um, The Cape. Let's see if I get that without a glare. And uh, so the tagline on this one is, you know, in a city of mass heroes, darkness hides the truth. So people aren't just hiding behind, you know, uh, an alias. They're actually hiding behind their flaws and some of the uh, things that they have that are probably really uh, unfavorable uh, as far as you talk about what a true hero is. And they hide behind the capes. And that was another rule is that you had to wear a cape so people identified you as such. So uh, have a little bit of a mix of a love story in there as well. Um, with the main hero and uh, name uh, Paladin, and um, his his long loss of love, who he's always wanted to be with for the longest time, and she's kind of a troubled character, and that was a cheetah girl. So this whole story arc starts, and then uh, when that story ends, it picks up in um, Cape Overdrive, which is the sequel uh, to the first book. And you see Thief, who is the uh, the most powerful hero. Like, if you get within, like, 100 yards of him, he can actually absorb your powers and become just like you. He doesn't drain you, but he mimics what you can do. And you've got Paladin over here with the super suit. And then you've got uh, Blur, who's the speed. So that was basically Cheetah Girl kind of um, advancing into her next phase of her power. So we I wrote that. I got the first two books done. And then... Um, we had recruited a couple more writers at the time. We had Daniel Payton with his series, the Bark series, which came out. And then we had Lawrence St. John with Metatron. So we had this nice, rich storyline of, of, of superheroes. And we ended up having, now we were up to like 16 novels that we published for superheroes. So we were like, man, like what's the next phase? You know, so the next phase, what was natural to me was let's kick off this comic thing. Let's see what we can do with a comic. Um, so everybody kind of had their own storylines. And then, um, we also had another author named, uh, Kayo Champion who wrote, uh, the Majesties of Canaan story, <clears throat> which is like seven superhero team that is, um, that, that finds this substance called, um, Oromite, which is in, you know, in, invincible and they can make weapons out of them and it forges on their, on their body as well. And it gives them super power. So when we did that, we said, well, you know, let's spawn a superheroes team, which is, we came up with Infinity 7. And the first book in that series was called Gods Among Men, <clears throat> where we actually took uh, my characters from the Cape, teamed up with the Majesties of Canaan and Menzuo. Um, and, and uh, book one uh, went out and we'll end up writing, we're doing, working on book two now for that um, team up. And then books three and four are going to actually bring in Metatron and Bark and some of our other characters who we have uh, uh, other authors are working on as well. So we're just kind of going phase by phase. But when we decided to do the comics, we were saying, hey, let's branch off. Your comic will not be something brand new. It won't be a retelling of the story, but it's going to be another uh, a road uh, from that storyline, that story arc. And that's where I came up with 
the Cape Hellfire. So that takes place right at the end of Infinity 7, book one. So um, the Cape uh, picks up right then. And then um, Menzuo actually picks up right at the end of Infinity as well. But really, um, from uh, the Metatron book four, um, it's the, uh, the Warrior's Way. So that ended up being um, where his book picks up. So you see some of the characters that you see on the cover here are also featured on that big wide uh, image you showed earlier, Steve, with the uh, wraparound cover, which I was just, it's a wraparound comic. If you go back to the, the yeah, there it is. So that was a, a wraparound cover, which I thought was just amazing because I've seen some of the X-Men have done that over the years as well with these wraparound covers. So front and back, you'll just have this whole beautiful image of, uh, of all the heroes and, and some of the enemies on the um, front of it. So um, that's where we are right now. We've got these four comics coming out. We got that Kickstarter that was funded um, what was it, back in... Uh, October, we got it funded. We started uh, We started it in July. We got it, we did it for two months because it was our first time doing a Kickstarter. We didn't really know what kind of window we needed, but we got it all done in September and it was funded by October. So uh, we've got some amazing uh, artists who are working on everything. All the authors uh, wrote all the scripts for the comics because obviously we wanted to make sure that all of that was congruent, that you know the storytelling came right from the creators and the authors of the books so that we didn't miss anything. And uh, we ended up recruiting some uh, artists from really, you know, Brazil. We've got some people from Atlanta, which we're based out of as well. And uh, they're doing a masterful job with the images. So the authors and the artists are working hand in hand. So we've got Menzuo um, and the Cape are already completed 100%. As you see, I have the image, the uh, comics in my hand. And um, Bark is right around 80%, and Metatron's right around like 60 So. All of those will be uh, completed at the end of this month so that we'll be officially kicking them all off and have them available for sale in April. So really, really excited about that. And of course, I've already got um, like six comic conventions lined up this year that we'll be making our, our premiere uh, as with our imprint, um, Star Child Comics, which is the imprint under, it's our comic imprint under the, um, the uh, Cosmedia Production uh, publishing company. So, you know, we got all of our characters. Well, not even all of them. That's just a, probably about half because we don't even have the um, the Majesties of Canaan on there. But yeah, so we're really excited. You know, we're going to get a chance to be visible, get out, meet people, and then we'll have bundles where you can, you know, you'll pick up like the Metatron book one, I mean, Menzuo book one, uh, Menzuo book two, and Menzuo book three and four, along with the comics. So we'll have packages for that. You can also get Capes book one, two, and three. Uh, with Infinity 7. So uh, we're really thrilled because we just want to get stories out there. You know, we want people to, to just get involved and see our connected universe that we've come up with. All of our characters are kind of reference one another in their books as well. So how Marvel has that, the MCU and uh, DC has the DCU. We have our CMP DSU, which is the Cosmedia Productions dedicated superhero universe. So uh, we're just excited. You know, anytime we can come out and and meet people face to face, talk about the stories we have and introduce these characters that we have a chance to come up with. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't get any more exciting than that. And uh, I'll be at Atlanta Comic Con this Friday, the 18th of March, where we'll be at least debuting the Cape in uh, Menzuo. So, uh, you know, we're just thrilled and we're ready to hit the road and, and get things going. 
Very good. That was a lot to unpack. Yeah, this is a lot of info. So, you, you, just to just be clear, be clear the, books the books that came, that came before, before are those, those pro novels. novels. Pro, pros, pros like, like uh, oh yeah, yeah, novels, like, yep, yep. The, these are full fledged novels. I mean, you've got you know, this, you know, this is chap chapter books, everything. Um, all of that is in this. So yeah, these are full novels. So this, they're not graphic novels. These are actually real stories. So you're gonna get a full, you know, 200, 300 page novel of a superhero storyline. Okay, okay, good. good. I, I, I was curious, curious because, because we were, we were uh, I talked uh, to Mundy about, about this, but as we were reading those stories, it felt like there was a story behind it. Like we had jumped in midstreams. So that totally makes sense. That right. All these stories happened before the ones we read happened. Right. And if you notice, uh, what we did is it was, it was, it's about marketing, right? So, okay, we got these comics. We don't want to read, you know, you've really got 22 pages to tell the story. You don't want to waste a lot of that trying to tread, you know, trend in, uh, in the past. So we wanted to kind of make it a, a forward uh, reading comic. And at the end, we put that one page in the, in the back of the comic that actually has the QR code um, and it has the novels. It says, you know, catch up with the origin stories, you know, in the Cape book one and two and infinity seven, those are on the last page of the comic. And there's a QR code. So if people really dug the comic, they can just scan it with their phone It'll take them to our website and they can actually purchase those books. There'll be links even to Amazon too if they wanted to get the, the uh, eBooks as well. Um, so there's an opportunity just to kind of dive back in and figure out everything. So we're using the books really to say, hey, look, this is the visual representation of the story we've been telling for years. And now here's an opportunity. If you're a comic fan and you just love that, you can go back and, uh, and grab all those origin stories so you can be caught up on, you know, how do we get to this point? You know, but we try to, I know it was something very um, um, a challenge that I had to be very uh, direct with how do you tell this story without losing people, you know? So in the storytelling, there's a lot of elements that kind of, it's a little bit of, um, of the narrative to take people to say, here, here's where we are without having to be on the nose, you know? So the exposition is more like just pulling you along. And as you keep reading, you can go, oh, well, they're there. And it still gives you, but at the same time, with that balance of giving you the hunger of wanting to go back and jump into the old story just so you can catch up, you know. What, what is, is the website, website to, to get, get those? those? Um, I'm going to run it across the screen here. Yeah, absolutely. Know. It's um, I pulled it up. It's if you go to uh, CosbyMediaProductions.com backslash store it'll take you to the page where you can buy actually my books are in there the capes one two and three plus proto star plus uh, my bounty hunter series uh still rain is in there but also the two comics for the cape and menzuo those are actually on there as well okay very good so <clears throat> obviously if you're getting into this venture you probably were a comics fan beforehand absolutely so what is uh, or what are some properties that that you dug that really got you going on this? Uh, always been a huge X Men fan and um, fan Fantastic Four. Those are my like two favorite team ups. I was also oddly enough a fan of Alpha Flight, which is not a real popular uh, comic team, but I just thought they were the coolest thing with Puck and some of these other guys. I I just like characters who have dimensions. I, I, as a writer, um, they say a lot of times if you really want to capture an audience with the way you write like a villain 
or even a hero is to give them a cool silhouette. If you can imagine that character, if you turn um, everything were just black and there was a white background, you saw their silhouette. Um, that's when you created something very interesting. So I just liked all the dimensions of those of all those characters from those series. Um, and so um, my favorite being, I was a huge Wolverine fan with the X-Men. I also loved Colossus too. I thought he was like really cool with the metallic uh, body and everything. So um, that was my X-Men. I mean, that was my Marvel uh, fandom. But I grew up in the 80s where we used to have, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the Sunday Funnies, the TV show. And they were, and most things were like DC, you know, like they always had a lot of DC stuff uh, on the Sunday Funny. So I looked at that and um, the Super Friends cartoon. So I was a huge DC fan as well. So I was, Batman was my guy, still is today. So I use a lot of uh, inspiration in writing these very uh, complicated characters um, who end up really like they hide behind the alias, you know, of who they are in the real world, really. But the other character is the one who's really coming to the forefront and the ones you connect with. So um, I think the more complicated I can make the, the hero, uh, the more um, the more you can raise the stakes in the storytelling of what they're trying to accomplish and the easier it is for uh, readers to connect with them and go with them on this journey as they, they kind of always you know, from, you're getting a character from point A to point B in writing. And along the way, you have all these shortfalls. You know, I'm trying to accomplish this. Up, oh, there's a complication. Can't do it. How do I reroute and try to get back on again? Up, oh, I fall again until you get to the climax. And then you have the, uh, you know, the new world order of how things are. So um, when I write, I really try to bring that out in the characters. And with the comics, it was a whole new um, venue of writing, which was just exciting to me because it's a challenge to get in 22 pages i'm trying to get this story uh completed not so much because obviously um i'm the, there's a series within a series so cape hellfire is going to be like three or four comics in this whole um series so it obviously doesn't end with the with that comic but i've still got to tell a complete story of the uh the piece of that story within those 22 pages and that's complicated because all you have are panels and and you have a little bit of narrative. You don't want to crowd the pages with, with all the dialogue, but you want to give people action too. So how you just keep pulsing the reader through the comic is a great challenge. But as a writer, um, it's you know something that just made me uh, even more and more falling in love with storytelling. So I just posted, I posted a, a comment, comment on the, on the screen. screen. This is this from is Sean from Hilton. Hilton. He's the uh, local comic shop owner, Comics Cubed, here in our town. Mm -hmm. And he wants to know from you, in the world of comics, which writer has influenced your writing the most? Um, I've, I've done a lot of uh, reading with comics. And like I said, my, my fandom comes with um, Batman. You know, I was a huge fan of... of, um, of uh, Bob Kane, and then also, um, you know, I know Stan Lee was like the creator of a lot of things. He didn't do that much writing per se, as far as like going series to series, but he he initiated the narrative of a lot of um, a lot of storylines. And I loved what he did with X Men and storytelling. He kind of paralleled it to Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King, as far as the characters of Magneto and uh, Professor um, Xavier. So. I liked what he did with it and um, also Jack Kirby with Black Panther. So uh, those are kind of like the glue of, I like 
a narrative that it, it speaks to something that's real world and that's um, relevant to where we are in the time. And I think that they did that. They kind of reflect, they had these characters, but they reflected what was going on in the times that they were writing so that people can really kind of live in that world and almost imagine like, wow, here we are. So when I was diving into the Cape, I'm like, well, Chicago's got awful crime, but what would it look like in 2035? It's probably even worse, you know? And a good buddy of mine uh, was from Chicago. So I got a lot of things about the addresses like, hey, you know, I'm in this area, where would it be if we were talking about, you know, a dock? Where would the docks be? He's like, oh, that's gonna be down on such and such, you know, by the lake. And then, so I was getting a lot of information from him to kind of plug into it, so. Uh, I noticed there are some parallels in your story. So what were some of the current issues that you want to address throughout your story? Um, what I did with, uh, in this story, um, in the, in the Cape hellfire, the storyline was really about Paladin, um, trying to find, um, what happened to blur. So something happens to her at the end of, uh, infinity seven. And he really was kind of giving up on everything. And that's why that opening sequence is like with him just kind of holding the ring. He was going to propose her, something happened to her, and he never got a chance. And then I had a little bit of overlap, which was uh, I thought was cool, with uh, the Starcross Saga, the main character, William, um, through his uh, trilogy, he had to, he had to uh, travel back in time. And so um, in the Infinity 7 book, there's a lot of um, other characters in there who can actually kind of because you have a portal jumper and you have speedsters that's all kind of mixed with time so they started getting some of these premonitions and this communication of somebody from a distant place communicating and that ended up being william uh during the uh prince bounty hunter so he actually comes to paladin and is like hey you know um his name is sebastian so sebastian i think i might know uh where blur is and how you can get to her so he kind of pulls them in gives them the narrative to the story and it's on this wild whim of, Hey, let's just try it. You know? So, um, those were the, um, that was what pushed that story forward is, Hey, let's go into this other realm where they ended up fighting this, um, very powerful, uh, celestial being named Ghazi. So we're going to pick up from there with, uh, incorporating these celestial beings that end up, uh, they're, they're first introduced in infinity seven, uh, novel. And it's it's carried out uh, a lot of which is picked up in um, the Majesties of Canaan because that's where the portal jumper is from. And he's he can if he can imagine space time uh, continuum anywhere, he can jump a portal there. So he's starting to slowly master his powers and actually realize how how uh, strong he really is because he just thought it was just about going from one point A to point B, but realizing in a time continuum, you know, point A and, and point B could actually be in the same place. So um, that's really where my narrative went is I wanted to explore getting these um, these celestial beings to kind of come into the fold, and then we'll 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 reintroduce that again in Infinity uh, Seven Book Two, and then I'll jump back again into Cape Hellfire to keep that narrative moving. Um, talk a little bit about your world building. I mean, it's one thing to have an idea, but you have to flesh out this entire world, right. create these little intricate problems you're talking about. Did you do that with that team, Mr. Dodds? And uh, gosh, I can't forget, remember the other guy's name. Um, yeah. Did you do that with them as a, as a group or did you kind of stick to your own individual books and then try to link them up later? 
Yeah, when we when we first set off, uh, we started figuring out like, okay, like I said, Keyshawn was the most established. He already had all of his stuff written like from like 2006. So he was bringing out a board. And since we were rebranding him and kind of restarting the story, it was just a matter of, okay, guys, let's talk, you know, what time window would we be in right now, you know? And we all kind of agreed on 2035 as just random, like, you know, maybe 15 years in the future when we really started putting this together. And so uh, we started adding in parts of the book where we're kind of referencing one another. So then there's a whole scene in Infinity 7 where they do kind of collide, you know, like my heroes with his heroes and they're kind of fighting and figuring out who's on what side. Um, and then the world building really was about these amazing story arcs because with Menzuo being from another planet, he's pretty much an alien. So it's become like almost like the sci-fi story and outer space of his origin and him traveling back to earth and some of the team members that he recruits along the way. Um, and then the Cape is just, you know, futuristic Chicago, 2035, not too much, but some, some things that might, you might imagine will be going on. It wouldn't be, I didn't have flying cars or anything, but just some of the technology uh, with 3d printing and things like that, that would be in their holograms or whatnot. Um, a lot of the world building that we do as writers is really, the setting you know you've got to talk about technology you've got to talk about locations uh what kind of industry we're dealing with you know if you're in a a rural area versus built up cities and things like that and then what's relevant uh the cape really dealt with a lot i took it back to dealing with mob bosses in chicago you know um the only thing i don't talk about is pizza <laughs> but trying to make that authentic <laughs> what you would expect in chicago uh, it's really uh, what I was able, able to pull in, in with some of the some world, world building there, there. Um, uh, and, you know, and, you vehicles, know and, vehicles and the way that these guys, guys are transported around, around. Uh, uh, all of all those, those settings, settings, I tried to be as authentic as possible uh, to where we were um, as far as the storytelling is, is concerned. And um, I think once people are kind of um, transported into that setting then they they get a good feel for it so there is quite a bit of um of building up the uh, environments but in my experience with writing i really uh realized that even most the most successful stories that you have yeah you know lord of the rings is great game of thrones is great as far as the worlds are concerned but uh it's about those characters so a lot of our story a lot of my stories and and the authors as well is really character driven first you know what are the stakes uh what are the things that are going to uh connect you to that character i always say you need like an anchor as fantastic as a, a superhero may be what's that anchor that humanizes him that because that's where we're going to be connected you know i think if the best example i've come up with recently was something like the mandalorian guy behind a helmet you really have no connection to him early on but when he finally gets with grogu baby yoda he's immediately humanized because now he's got this child and most people can understand that relationship, either a mentor or a father to a child. And now you're really connecting with him, <clears throat> especially because he's taken on this uh, mantle uh, a little reluctantly in the beginning, but now he's actually accepting it. So, so now everybody's connected to him. And, him. and as, as much as, as I think, think uh, John Favreau may have wanted, wanted to try to leave Grogu in the dust, dust. The success, the success of that story, of that story is, is, is uh, solely, uh, solely based, based on the fact that, that we've made that, that human, human connection, connection with uh, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian. So, so I think, I think uh, 
continuing to break down the characters in my story to say, yes, they're super, but man, they've got some issues, you know? Um, especially with Blur and her, her history, she was actually a, a call girl, you know, and was actually having an affair with uh, a man and she ended up being detached from that. And she just kind of feels like she's never been worthy enough to be with a, a good man, which is basically Sebastian. You know, uh, who's you know he's uh, he's gotten very successful off of technology. His uncle invested in him in college, and when he got out, he started um, using technology to uh, get money, and so he became a, a millionaire. And now, with this money that he's got, he's decided, hey, I'm going to throw my name and my, my uh, hat in the ring to be a superhero. So he's come up with the uh, super suit that he has that has uh, four variants of. Uh, uh, the three variants, strength, stealth, and speed. The fourth variant is really where everything just became uh, automatic, where if he just thinks it, the suit will change. So we kind of count that as the other variant because it's uh, it's assimilation is what would be the variant of the suit at that point. Um, and then him investing in the technology, he actually, um, with the capes being in the city, we mixed in reality TV. So we imagined if we had the drones that followed the capes during the daytime, you know, if a cape saves a, a cat in a tree, you know, that's recorded. If uh, they fight off a, a, a mob boss or something, that's recorded by these drones are just flying around the city the entire time. And um, all their exploits are recorded and it's uploaded into the city network. And at night, it's a, it's a nighttime TV show called The Night Watch. Um, so people are like, you know, high ratings and everything. So when a uh, thief actually admits to killing a normal, those ratings jump right back up again because these drones are actively trying to find out where he is and nobody can find him. And then all of a sudden you got this new hero that shows his face, which is Paladin. And everybody's like, well, you know, who are you? Are you a hero or a bad guy? I said, well, I'm still trying to decide. You know, he's kind of playing because he's really being more of a detective at this point. In one end, he's trying to save Carla, who's being pulled to dark phase again because she doesn't think she's worthy of being a quote unquote hero. So he's really trying to shadow her to protect her and at the same time find out what happened to Thieves. So you've got this nice mix of reality TV based in this uh, world in 2035 that we all relate to in Chicago with these three different factions really of dark phase, the capes, and then the authorities. So it, it's a lot of moving pieces that uh, go on in this story. Um, that take you into the second book, which gets even crazier as far as what the stakes are, uh, where the stakes are concerned. Very cool. Mundy, did you say you had some questions as well? We're getting a little lag, so apologies. Please bear with us with. Uh, yeah, so, sorry, guys. I'm still getting a lot of lag. So my question was, I mean, listening to you talk about uh, all the story points, you've obviously got that totally nailed down. I mean, you're you're on that uh, with the as far as the art goes, you know, starting a new company. How did you guys go about finding the artist? Did you have a style in mind and went looking for people that did that? Or did you just start looking for available artists and be like uh, that style will work that'll work that'll right. work How, how'd that go yeah well it was crazy um the way it started off is that i i, I teamed up i found a couple of um indie artists who had their own comic book companies and i would go to these conventions and i'd meet people you know and i said man i really like your art style 
you know, how much is it to make a comic? Because I had no idea, you know. <laughs> so, and I had some people who gave me some whopper numbers. I'm like, geez, we can't afford that, you know, especially when we want to launch four. Um, and then so I found a group, uh, Fantasy Art Studios, who had done the uh, Fierce comics. And um, I was like, hey, you know, can we kind of go into a partnership to get this done? And they were like, yeah, you know. Um, so I recruited them to start on one, um, but the undertaking was a lot. And as far as our time window was concerned, um, I, add, I I met up with Tyler, the creator who has the Antagonist uh, series of comics, which has now been uh, picked up to uh, work on um, uh, trying to uh, bring into live action and pitch to networks. And he just, he was nice. He was really generous. He gave me a couple of names of some artists that he liked to work with. And I saw their style, obviously, in his comics. I'm like, oh, this would be nice. You know, so I reached out to them, communicated. And it was crazy because once we went into social media and just started just posting some things, I mean, artists just came at us, you know, like DMing me like, hey, I do this. You know, what's that? And I started learning the language of comics. Hey, what's your rate? <laughs> what's your rate for inks and pencils? What's your rate for colors and lettering, you know? And then, I mean, there's people now in my DM, I don't have work for them. There's so many people like waiting, you know? So what we did is that we started contracting um, the artists who we had, who had the style that we liked to at least work on these comics. And um, we have a, a guy named Bruno who worked on the Cape for me. And he is, Bruno is just fabulous. Um, he did, and he's out of Brazil. <clears throat> and he worked on the Cape for me. And then we brought in... Um, Marcelo Salazar, who's actually doing both Menzuo and Metatron. And then I've got another young man who's come on named Daniel. And Daniel is going to be working on my um, cyberpunk story that I'll be writing towards the end of the year, which is a, a bit of a, a, a spinoff from the Starcross saga. Uh, so I wanted to kind of jump into that cyberpunk realm. But I am working on a, um, a zombie novel now. Uh, that's going to be released. We're doing like, we figured, hey, you know what? We're probably the only uh, comic companies out here that have, you know, in the indie scene that have novels. So why not take advantage of that and launch comics with novels, you know, and continue to tell these stories. So you got the people, uh, you know, I looked at young folks, they would come to the table sometime with some of the comic books we love and they love the cover. You're like, oh man, Manzul, that's really cool. And then the parent would go, well, is this a graphic novel? They know it's a novel. It's a real novel. And then the kid would go, oh, they really want to read it, but they love the characters on the cover. Um, and then the parent would be like, hey, I'll buy it for you. I want you to read. And the kid was like, nah, that's okay. And then some kids would. Uh, so that's what we were like, you know, let's target them with the comics and get them to really love the comics so much that they'll go back and read the novels, hopefully, and vice versa. You know, if you like, if you like the novels, you go ahead and buy the comics. But um, I said that I wanted to do something with uh, zombies. And I was already writing a post-apocalyptic story that had a version of zombies in it. Um, and this this um, novel I had been working on since 2020, and I completed it at the end of last year, and I didn't release it. I said, you know what, I'm going to try to find an artist who I really think would do a great job at bringing out these characters um, in the uh, in a, a comic. And so uh, another young man named Rom, um, came and again, he, in my DM, hey, I do this and that. And I looked at his artwork and I said, you know what? I think your art style would really fit what I'm trying to do with um, with this Broken series is what I'm writing. And he gave me, I, I gave him, I said, hey, here's a test. I gave him a test page, first page of the comic, just 
draw it and send it to me. And then he knocked it out in like 24 hours and he, he did exactly what I would have imagined on the page. So I was just blown away and I was like, man, this is going to be fantastic. So I went ahead and just uh, recruited him and, and signed him on with a contract. So he's working on Broken right now. And he's got about 18 pages of that done with the black and uh, white inks. And um, I'm going to have actually Bruno doing the coloring and the lettering on that because I like the style what he used when we did the cape. So to answer your question, I just it really just comes down to, you know, I'm looking at my art because we've grown so much now that I really thought I had just one camp working on everybody. And as people just send me images, I would send it to the, art, the authors and say, <clears throat> does this look like something that would fit? Because in my mind, this looks really, really cool. And they were like, yo, this guy looks, this, this style is going to be great. And we just went ahead and plugged them in. So as we continue to just go forward, we really would love to continue to have novels written. Ask the author if they're interested in turning it into a comic. If they are, then we figure out how we get a Kickstarter to fund getting it done. And we would basically just attach an artist to it so that everything is stylized and it comes out the way that they would like it. Hey, Monday, I think you had a follow up, and then we'll uh, then we'll go to Sean's question. Yeah, uh, my follow up uh, really is just about the the covers of the novels. Um, if that, like, I noticed they look similar to the comics. Uh, it's like a chicken or the egg question. Like, did you have the novels written and then? do the comics and kind of find the artists for the comics and then have them do the novel covers or like what came first, how'd that work? Yeah. The, um, when I first did, let me see, when I first did the Cape, I was like, I really just wanted a Cape on the cover, you know? <laughs> so I, I had a, a, a art designer, I, I designed the logo. I had him put it together for me. Um, and this one, uh, you know, it says above all else, uh, protect the truth. And I have the, the uh, image of uh, David bending an iron bow within the uh, shield and the emblem. And that's really what would be on all the capes of the characters when they first started out. And then by the time the, steer, the, the, the first book ends, there's a little bit of a, a twist on what happens with the capes and the mandate to wear them. So I really just said, hey, this is about the cape. Let's put a cape on the cover. And then when I brought in the second book, I was like, you know, I need to show people what these characters really look like. So I had another artist who I worked with who really just... I. If I was, I'm an artist myself, but if I'm being honest, compared to these guys, I'm probably about a five or six. So I was able to design everything. I drew everything out, I, you know, from head to toe, all these characters are my designs. And I just hand them off and say, hey, you know, do what you can with it. <clears throat> and then they give me these amazing images to, to run with. Um, so all of these stories were written and had cover art already. So when it came to doing the comics just last year, the art, the artists say, Hey, send me what you have, you know? And I think in their mind, they tried to best represent, uh, what we were already working on. So it didn't look really odd, you know? Um, and I just think they did a great job. So all of it just seems, uh, a nice continuum of, of the art that we first started out with and people can look, you can easily look at the paperbacks and the comments and go, yeah, yeah, this is the same, you know, cause I just didn't want anything to be strange i don't want to have these fabulous looking comics and these novels look terrible even vice versa so uh i give kudos to the artists because um i tell people all the time we were blessed to have artists who actually drew our comics i don't call them comic artists they're actually artists because when you 
uh, you know, you write a page <clears throat> and you put in six panels and you're saying in this panel, top, you know, top third of the page, le top left third of the page, this is happening, this character saying this, this is the action. And then you're hoping that the, that the artist can read that on a piece of paper and give that to you in a panel, you know, and I'll be honest with you, every page that was turned in, there were no changes. It was like, wow, like you've not even just given me what I want. You've exceeded my expectations. So I thought it was just like definitely, you know, divine intervention to get all that done because we didn't have a single complaint. And um, so they kind of matched it. So going forward, doing more uh, novel, more comics, it's my intention to continue to have the same artists work on it so that we don't lose it. And I know over years, you know, down the line, DC, Marvel, everybody has their own favorite artists who giving you a different rendition of Spider-Man or somebody. Uh, so with us just starting off, obviously, just maybe in this first series of three or four comics of maybe the Kate, I would want the same artist. And then eventually I might, you know, go another way with a different series just to give a nice variation as the costumes change and the art designs change. Uh, we might switch it up. Okay. okay. So let's go for uh, that to the question from Mr. Hilton. How did you handle the change from writing prose to writing comic scripts? Cause it's such a visual medium and you can't spell everything out. The, the pictures have to tell a lot of the story. So how did you adjust right. from one to the other? It was amazing. Like I said, I, I'm a I'm a, a lifelong learner. You know, um, I was in college for years and years and years. I did undergrad, master's and doctorate program. <clears throat> and I never shy away from just learning something. You know, if I, if I get a nice challenge, I like to learn it. So what does it take? You know, so my whole thing was getting in the comments. I didn't want to just go and throw anything on a piece of paper and hope it worked. I actually studied the craft. You know, I started getting back, digging into my comics, uh, reading what people uh, did with a page. Um, there is, uh, I also write screenplays as well. So they're all very linked in the fact that, you know, uh, act one, act two, act three. That's it. That's writing. Uh, a book has it, a comic has it, and a screenplay has it. Um, obviously, you're going from a novel, which you can take your time, you know, Proto Star was like 100, I think 92,000 words. So I could take my time with that whole story in the first book. Um, uh, my, my longest screenplay right now is 120 pages, <clears throat> which is two hours. So I have a little bit more time to play around with Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. But when you get to a comic, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 is 22 pages. How do you do that? You know, so um, I really needed to know story structure for comics. So I went and read a couple of books. And uh, one that I really settled on, I'll show it to you. I don't mind giving them love. Um, it was this book here called The Art of Comic Writing. And I like to give them love too because uh, SCAD is um, Savannah um, School of Art Design down here in, in Georgia. So uh, I think they kind of did like a, a partnership with them, but man, this book really kind of just did it all for me because you see my notes and everything. They really break down how these pages go. <clears throat> and when you get into the art of writing a comic, it's really a skill set. It's not just, oh, I want the superhero to kick everybody's butt by the page 22. We're good. There is really a structure to act one, act two, act three. You know, act one might carry you between pages one to five. And then from pages six to uh, 17, you might be dealing with act two. And then 18 through 20, 
21 sometimes you might do act three and then uh the last page normally stands on its own which is the annulment which is basically uh the flip side of how the world started and where we are at the end it's like a new normal so um that's not very different from how we write screenplays as well with act one act two act three and then it's just about what's happening in those pages how we introduce characters and what i'm trying to do with the visual medium of uh, comics, which is fantastic, is that, um, and I'll open up this one. Uh, actually, I sealed it. Sorry, this is my my sealed cape. That was my first one that came out the box. I can't open it. But what I did with um, the art of the visual medium is I have to control where the eyes of the reader are going in a comic. You know, so it's not just about <clears throat> a panel here, a panel there. It's something so important the most important thing you need to see is going to be your biggest panel on your page so every time i get to a new page i'm sitting back thinking okay i know what's going to happen here um what do i need the reader to see and so my smaller panels might be a setup for when i kind of explode you turn that page and it's like boom oh this big thing is happening on the page um, or what's these other panels saying? You know what I mean? So I use those opportunities to really guide how the reader goes from left to right all the way down the page. And then they turn to the page. So sometimes I might put a cliffhanger on the end of one page where they walk into a room and then the last panel is like the person doing this. And then they turn the page and then boom, something's happening right to you. You know, So you're constantly pushing them through the pages uh, in that same act one, act two, act three structure. So it's, about a, it's, a, it's a wonderful challenge because uh, I've been writing since 2010, and sometimes this stuff can become a grind, but having this new medium to play in and really kind of um, push myself uh, to develop a skill set that I, I didn't have before, but learning the craft and then actually putting it together and then going back and reading on those pages going, yeah, this is what I wanted. This this is exactly what I wanted. It's it's quite a um, a thrill, to be honest. It's, it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush. And when I started... Um, passing that information on to the other authors and they were um incorporated into their writing they were like man i'm just so excited like this is great like i could probably write comics the rest of my life i'm like yeah i know it's it really is something you know to it so um i don't know i would just say i'm a writer now i wouldn't say i'm just a novelist where i was just a novelist before or even a comic writer i just love the art of storytelling and the and the uh and the craft of of uh writing because um, if you get a, a very interesting character and you put them in a predicament where they have to uh, solve something or accomplish a goal and they've got all these shortfalls and these complications along the way and it's, it may start off small, but those stakes get bigger and bigger and bigger as they go through the story. Now you've got you know, an audience captivated and attached because they want to know you know, I've already related that person. I'm connected and I see them going through this uh, this journey. I'm going with them. And every time they run into a complication, I'm rooting for them. So if I can do that in any one of the story uh, story mediums that I'm writing, whether it's a novel or the comic or the uh, screenplay, then I feel like I've been successful. And that's really the um, at the end of the day, I just want to be successful as a writer to have somebody come and meet me one day and go, man, I really love that. What you did in the beginning was great. What I, you know, and, and when they can kind of bounce those ideas back to you and, and you can see that they got it, that's, there's no greater joy as being a writer.
So the question then, you, you've done a lot of world building. You're in the middle of these stories. Is there an end game in mind or is this true serialization where these could go on indefinitely? Yeah. For me, I think it's true serialization. What I did with the cape, the people say, well, why did you have him get powers like that? Um, you know, Sebastian doesn't have any powers. He's got a super suit. But for the rest of the characters, I basically made this peach Petri dish of superpowered people, you know? So this storm, you know, I made Chicago like a 25 square foot city. I mean, 25 mile city, square square mile city. And anybody who's caught in that storm has power. So there's still heroes. There's still villains still sitting in this city who got caught in that storm that they have not come out yet. So I can continually just go and just pull a new hero out, pull a new villain out, you know, over and over again. And I never have to just stop my storytelling, you know? Um, so what I'm doing now, like, in the Cape 2, when things got really crazy, uh, this uh, asteroid that you have at the top um, is on a collision course with planet Earth. And uh, it's worth a quintillion dollars because it's made of nothing but um, precious stones like rubies, gems, emeralds, diamonds. That's all it's made of. And if it uh, and it's about the size of a station wagon, but it's worth a quintillion dollars, which is the number one with 14 zeros behind it. So in a time where we're always talking about war and countries trying to get a one-up on each other, the country that would actually get this asteroid once it hit Earth would actually have unlimited resources. So that can change the shift of superpowers in the world. So the United States actually um, commissions the Capes to, they, they know the trajectory, they know what's gonna hit, they want them to go get it, they've built a uh, shuttle a space shuttle that's strong enough to withstand um, to take the asteroid once it hits, put it in the shuttle, and then launch this thing into the sun so nobody gets it. Um, and then so that's the main <coughs> story arc. But uh, there's all these other things as I'm continuing to build the characters now. Now, what's the relationship with Sebastian and Carla? You know, basically blur as we're going about. What's some of the issues she's still dealing with? Uh, with her insecurities and things like that. What's what's Thief doing now? What's he look like now after he's gotten through this whole uh, murder mystery story? What what what's how is he living out his life now? You know, he had a family at one point, uh, a wife, you know, and he's got kids, and now he's in the middle of divorce. So all of these these things that I think people just go through uh, naturally, and they're and there's these worlds are now colliding with still being superheroes, and I end up pulling out new villains from that. Uh, petri dish of uh of this storm in chicago so you know we got um dame lightning comes out she's like this opera singer who's got all these superpowers she's a villain and she's really really badass and and cool and then um some of the other characters that i introduced again in infinity seven uh where we seem like we have a villain but they're young you know they're like maybe like a like teen titans kind of age and they're the villains in the beginning but what if we can now turn the corner where they're starting to say, like, after they get, you know, defeated by the capes, maybe that isn't the right path for me. You know, maybe I need to go another way. And so uh, a character named Icon, who I have in uh, Infinity 7, is actually going to end up branching off into his own solo comic with a team of other young uh, heroes that are introduced in uh, Infinity 2. So we're just going to continue to to push it, you know, and just keep telling stories. I was... um. When I was in high school, I, I started my own comic, you know, just as a high schooler, obviously nothing serious, but 
It's like a six-page comic I came up with. I drew some little pages and thought it was real cool. And those heroes are really kind of dear to my heart. I'm like, man, I got to bring those guys back, you know, because I thought they were really cool. So I'll be introducing them as we go with the whole Cape series, you know, because, again, they're, it's, they're all going to come out of this one city, you know. And then um, as everybody in our stable of, of uh, writers continues to develop their stories, you know, they'll continue to just overlap and we'll have some side team ups and all these characters to keep working together. So we're just excited with uh, what we've got. Um, as far as just our own little network and uh, continuum of heroes, because we think that all of them have fantastic stories because we're, we're authors first. So they have great stories. And then now if we can just mix that with the visuals and give people some eye candy. Man, I don't I don't I, the sky will be the limit at some point, you know. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. <clears throat> I've, I've been sitting here listening so long that I've lost my voice from being stagnant, so bear with me. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you run into? I mean, of course, you know, the creative process, you sometimes getting in a rut and things like that. But I guess the logistics, I mean, you're coordinating with a handful of people to get this finished product um, all the way down to the finished physical copy. Right. What, what are some of those hurdles that uh, tend to happen often and, and things that you're learning as you go? Yeah. Uh, trust in the process has been a lot um, harder than I thought. Not for me, really, because I'm, again, as an artist, I give people visual freedom. You know, uh, hey, here's my characters. Here's my panels. As long as you kind of just do everything I need in that panel, um, your artistic choices, I'm going to give you autonomy with that. I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, his muscle, you know, his bicep should have looked like this. I'm not going to be that picky. So um, as long as you're just authentic, to the design of where I want to be. And we're continually doing that. And we're not cutting corners from page to page where I think you give me a, a page that looked like an eight out of 10. And all of a sudden you're trying to just throw like a three out of 10 just to kind of get through the um, creative process. I'm fine with that. Um, some of the challenges are sometimes, you know, you, you turn over the work to the author and they're like, oh, well, he didn't really look like that. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to give them a little bit of creative uh, freedom, you know, because that's what they did. You trusted them to have that, um, uh, to work on your story. And it's not like you can draw it, you know, so as long as it still looks good, you got to live with it. I mean, you can look at tons of comics. I mean, I don't care who who um, did it, whether it's Marvel or DC. Um, not every page is fantastic, you know, and some of those little panels, you know, if it's not really a focus on that character they're kind of in the background it's going to look a little sketchy you know as opposed to when you give these opportunities what i did with um the broken series is that this the novel is so emotional and it's so uh, character driven out of this first person narrative that i really wanted emotion to come across in the comics so a lot of my stuff is about these close-ups that you get at the characters where they're like you know pointing and talking there's they're crying you can see their eyes are bloodshot, um, and a lot of the angles in which you be, kind of become a director when you do comic panels because you're like, well, where am I shooting this from? Is it top down? Is it floor up? Is it over the shoulder? Is it a wide shot? Is it a, a close-up shot? And so um, I did a lot of, I used a lot of variation with how these camera angles were in this story to really uh, set the tone for the conversations of these characters where the one character, um, Dr. Greg, is in a wheelchair. So sometimes, and if somebody's talking to him and, and there's an argument he's had with the main character, Kisa, rather than over the shoulder, I went from the floor up from his wheelchair, 
You know, like if, if he's looking down and he's looking up and she's in his face like this, I want that emotion and that tone to uh, come across on that page. So I'm just shooting it that way in my mind. And then, you know, it's coming out on the panel. So uh, to answer your question, a lot of it is just the logistics of really, I do a great job of time management because I'm juggling a lot because I'm still the CEO of Cosmic Productions, still putting out books and book trailers and getting books to the editors and <clears throat> the editors get them back. And I got to get them to the office and say, hey, get this back to me when you're ready. And I still have to work on the book covers because all of our book covers I designed, I tell the authors, what do you want? And then I work with the the um, the artists to put together the book covers, you know. And so um, I'm doing quite a bit as far as all of that. Um, but you know, this has been a learning process, really learning how to do comics. And I'm really, really grateful with the printer that we use because they've made this seamless, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, you know, well, how do I do this? I put this all in a a, a zip drive and I send it to you and they're like, yep. And then we list it out and they send you a digital proof and you go, okay, well, no, that page should be here and that page should be there. And I send it to the author say, hey, look at these. Is this the flow of your comic? Because I don't know. I don't have time to go read your comic and figure out these all these pages are in the right place. And then they'll be like, yep, that's it. And then we, we get it signed, sealed, and delivered. And then the comics come in the uh, in the boxes and we're just you know excited to finally get it in our hand. Very cool. I felt that way when I recorded an album and had it printed to CD, right? You know, it's like you get the physical copy and it's like, ah, the finished result. Right. Now to get this thing to move out of here and, and break <laughs> even at least. So that was my peril anyway <laughs> right, as right. a musician. But, uh, you know, for, for anybody who may be aspiring to do what you do, um, do you have any, uh, I guess, words of wisdom, things of that sort? I know that the book you showed uh, with the art of comic writing is a very cool resource, but I know big piece like music you've got to put your fingers on the instrument and make it happen you know what other pieces have you picked up along the way that you would impart on others um i think uh one of the main things is really to have a team of people who are supportive you know because there's going to be a lot of challenges and you're not you're going to really not want to do it like oh my god we got to do that now you know so i've met a lot of great um indie uh comic companies because this again it was my learning curve trying to learn about comics so um fantasy art studios like i said they've already got two in the fierce series they've um they've done some other books as well so they were a good resource of trying to figure this whole thing out um i also work with uh lee giles and uh about time comics i've seen them a lot a lot of things and they've done the godson uh series which i was a huge fan of um and then like i said tyler help me out with just getting the name. So when we went into social media, social media, social media, social media, if you want to get your work out, you've got to have a presence because when you post things, man, you'd be surprised how many people just come and give you love and they'll like stuff and they'll go down your page and they'll just like everything. And then they'll message you and say, Hey man, you know, you guys are doing good. Keep it up. And that's what keeps motivating you. Cause then you say, man, you know, we're not just thinking our stuff looks good. People actually like it, you know? Uh, so you've got to be in that social media set. If you're trying to do things like this, especially because I didn't, I, I knew comic books were big, but, um, I didn't realize how much people in the indie scene were really, were willing to support comics. Like people like, you don't have to be like, you think I'm like, oh man, I'm on a comic, you know, nobody's going to, they just want all the Marvel stuff in DC and people tell me all the time, Hey, I'm just looking for something new. Thanks a lot. I like that. You know, I like that your stuff is new. This is a whole new story I haven't read before, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I've like relished in that, like, okay, well, you know, we got something new. Check this out, you know, check this out too. We can read the books, you know, figure out where it all started from. So you can only get that with social media because we don't have brick and mortar stores anymore that we're going to and trying to uh, sell these things out of. You know, yes, we partner with a comic company, you know, comic book stores. And, um, you know, we got some local folks here that I'll be, I'll be, at, I'll be there this time, not as an office selling superhero books, but I'll actually be selling a comic set uh, for first comic Saturday in May. Um, but yeah, you've got to get out to social media, man. You got to meet people, you got to talk. And that's where you'll find all your artists, you'll find all your inkers, and you'll find all your letters and people who are really just hungry for work and who have a ton of talent, you know? So it gives them an opportunity to be out there as well. So when I post things, I'm talking about who did the art, who did, because I want those people to get more work even after they're done working with us. Beautiful. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So if a comic company or a comic book store would want to get your books, how do they go about doing that? Their, their best bet is they can email um, the company at um, info at CosbyMediaProductions.com. Or they can just, when they go to the website for, comic, uh, for Cosmedia Productions, they'll see uh, contact us, which is like the whole web letter thing. They could send an email in there. And then what we would like to do with them is uh, as they make their purchase order through us, then we will run that through the printer and then get those comics out to them. Uh, what I didn't do uh, the first time around, just kind of getting this thing going, is I didn't have a lot of um, alternate covers, uh, but with Broken, but it being like, uh, like I say, based in this whole dystopian world where you've got factions of hoarders, uh, you've got the establishment, and you've also got the uh, zombies, what I call ashers, uh, there's going to be three variants to the covers. So if, if comic companies like, hey, we want that variant, they just got to tell us. So that way they're selling just that one variant at their store. And we could even go as far as doing some of the foil covers or the holographic covers, you know, again, it's our learning curve figuring out that, hey, if you guys want these special covers, you just let us know. We'll, we'll make that happen. So uh, <clears throat> Broken will have three different variants that are going to be exciting. So as we go forward and we do more comics, then we'll do that. But I wanted every comic to kind of have its own artistic style. And I think we were successful with that. When you showed those pictures earlier, Steve, of the, uh, the images that I sent you with the comics, um, when people see those comics, they're going to see a different art style. And then Menzuo having the the uh, the wraparound cover I thought was cool. Uh, all the comics will have the Infinity Seven uh, symbol on the back if they don't have the the wraparound cover, so people will understand what Infinity Seven's all about as well. And uh, you know, it's just gonna bounce you around because in the in the novels we have in the back of the novels we have pictures of the the books that are all in the same series, and in the back of the comics we have all the comic all the novels that kind of started the story. So people just be able to jump in and just bounce around and, and just, you know, read and read whatever you like, you know, visually you see it and you like it, go back and read the stories. Yep. I'm going to put the images back up there again. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot. I mean, you, you've talked about a lot of these books, but I want to clarify it for those who are watching or listening. I'm going to put the picture up and give you a quick chance to do an elevator okay. pitch cool. for each one of them so they can distinguish the stories that you're Absolutely. talking about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so that's Minzuo, um, War at Home. Uh, this, <laughs> the, I think it, it was so funny because I wrote, um, I wrote the cape first. I was kind of like first out the gate. I got my comic written and I shared it with the other uh, two, the other three artists, uh, authors, and everybody's like, "Man, that was really good." And I remember Keyshawn was like, he wrote a, he wrote like he started writing the story for Minzuo, and then he like 
look, man, Braxton, I just scrapped my entire comic because I was like, I got to elevate my game. Like your comic was so good. I, he really loved it. So he wanted to up the ante. And then <laughs> inside this comic, I'm like, I mean, in the first, you know, at first, just the, the cover itself just captures you. You know, there's a lot of chaos going on. And then, of course, the title is War at Home. So you know what they had to be bringing it. And then when he, um, when I started reading the comic, I'm like, you got giants in here? <laughs> you know, like you really just went all out. He's like, hey, I had to put it all in there, man. I had to kind of keep up with you. So, uh, yeah, so War at Home uh, was really, I mean, the, comp, the cover to me is just amazing. Because um, you've got Menzuo at the bottom there. And then you've got Lucio and Desmaros, which are, uh, <clears throat> we call them the twin powers because they basically, um, they have the power symbols, two different variations of the power symbols on their chest, the green guy and the blue guy. Um, and so they're like his uh, his sidekicks. Like, you know, they're like all brothers from the same planet, uh, Exorbio. And then you've got some of the other characters who were introduced, especially in, um, if you look at, uh, the, the Warrior's Destiny, you'll see coming some of these characters uh, in this one as well who were introduced in there. So, um, you know, this book, uh, Elevator Speech, is chaos times chaos times chaos. It really starts from page one, with, and, and you've got this whole uh, humans kind of um, protesting these superheroes. They don't want anybody on the planet anymore at this point. They're tired of it. They know they're, they're kind of like aliens. So you're having this whole kind of an X-Men vibe where it's like, you know, mutants against humans thing. But then when things spark off and we got these giants coming along, along with some of the um, some of the old demons, some of the old enemies, uh, the pirate warriors who kind of uh, rear their head against Menzuo, then everybody's like, oh, yeah, we do kind of need you guys. So it's real chaotic. And then there's a huge plot twist at the end. When I read it, I was like, I've read all four of your novels. I never knew this existed. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm bringing it. So he's already working on book five, too. So, uh, yeah, Menzuo is is really, really cool. I think I think people are going to enjoy this one thoroughly. So this is Bark. Um, as you can see, Bark is a half man, half dog. Um, but he's got two partners in crime here. He's got um, Snow, who is the female with the ice. And uh, we've also got... Uh, Dash, which is the speedster in his story, kind of moves about with the whole lightning flash kind of imagery throughout the uh, the comic. <clears throat> and this one's called Power Struggle. So again, it's really about, okay, heroes against the establishment of Earth, plus uh, the enemies who are really trying to take everybody down. So, uh, you know, power kind of going against power here where, you know, the um, the establishment of Earth is still trying to flex their muscles and say, hey, we're going to control X, Y, and Z. There's a, a group of heroes, uh, which a coalition that Bark is a part of called the UHC, the United Heroes um, <clears throat> Consortium. And uh, they're kind of like what you would imagine, like the Justice League. And they're trying to find a balance. There's been three novels in the Bark series already written. Um, so they're trying to find this, this whole balance of, well, you know, um, where do we stand now? After three books, we got these three story arcs that have, uh, that have come and gone. Now who's really in control? And of course, you know, the government doesn't want anybody to dictate anything other than, um, than themselves. So that's really where we kind of get to in a uh, bark power struggle. There's really a, a difficult, they're having a difficult time 
of establishing who's in control here. Um, and if people uh, really want the synopsis on all these stories, um, we're sharing them on the page. Uh, Steve, if you bring it up, when they go to um, cosmicmediaproductions.com and they go to um, publishing under the publishing tab, it says Star, uh, Star Child Comics. And that's where they actually get a um, get a, a peek at the uh, all the artists who worked on the comics, and uh, eventually we're going to end up putting this, the book synopsis on there as well, so they can um, they can get a a full uh, picture of where the stories are going in each one of these. <clears throat> we did it on the Kickstarter with the synopsis, so everybody had a a, um, a very basic idea, a premise of uh, what each one of these stories uh, was, uh, where it was going. So they will all have like none of these comics have ended after this first book so they're all going to have these small little series that go along with the storytelling yeah and if you go to kickstarter and just search mm -hmm. star child comics yep. you can pull that up and it's nice because there's interviews with either each of you talking about the book so yeah. if you want to dig in a little further there's more info for you there absolutely okay let's go to number three so that's mine kind of started off. And again, Bruno just, when Bruno sent me this cover, I almost wanted to cry. <laughs> like, geez, this is like so gorgeous, you know? And um, so, you know, these guys kind of tossed it up a little bit. Um, Paladin and Thief, like I said, they're on a quest to find out what happened to Blur. Uh, and then um, they kind of have to go up against a couple of space pirates. And then it finally ends with, uh, with meeting, with coming face to face with Ghazi. So, in this place called Hellfire, and so uh, I'm I'm really excited. I just want people to read this one because I think um, the artwork in here is like page by page is just you know again it's my personal stuff, so it just blows me away uh, what Bruno was able to do with it. Um, and I wish I could take full credit because I'm like, yeah, that's how that's exactly how I wanted it to look. <laughs> it's not true. I just I couldn't even think of um, of the art looking this good, you know, when he first handed it to me, but. Uh, I'm proud because obviously the design of everybody uh, was mine uh, from top to bottom. So I was like, well, at least that's how I wanted them to look when he did it, you know? So uh, I think Hellfire is, you know, it's going to continue this story and take us right into infinity two, and then bounce us back out again with the second book of Hellfire. Uh, so I'm just excited to get it going. Uh, we're working on the outline of infinity um, seven part two now, and that's going to, probably be out before the end of the year, that novel. So once people kind of get a chance to uh, ingest all of this superhero, supernormal goodness, they'll be ready for the next book in that series as well. And then and then we'll bounce back with our next Kickstarter, probably um, towards the beginning of 23 to get the next batch of comics out for everybody. Uh, will Infinity have uh, time travel? Yes. So have you... I was wanting to ask this earlier because earlier you know, we were reading those copies you gave us and it's the, she's not where she's when. That's and I'm right. just thinking, Oh God, now we've got timelines and all that. So how do you juggle <laughs> making a mess of things? Because if you do people online will let you know, you've oh, screwed absolutely. up the timeline or, you know, the theory of, of all that. So how do you yeah. juggle that? I, you know, with, with time travel, I, time travel gets convoluted when people use it as a gimmick. Like, oh, I got nothing else left. So let's just go back in time and stop everything. And I don't want to do that. The only, the time travel that I like to do is 
Um, Cause I did this with, with the Starcross saga books one, two, and three. And it was really about meeting yourself. <clears throat> uh, William had to fight this enemy who was so strong because I kind of came up with this whole um, time, time, and half a time. So basically it's like, those are three versions of you. There's an advanced you. Uh, there's a, 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 a time where you're in your own, like you now. And then there's a half a time, which is you in the past. And if you can somehow actually kill or destroy those other versions of yourself, you become more, more powerful. So he had to do that. Uh, and I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it became very a very emotional story. Can you imagine running into your older self and realizing that you may have to kill yourself or run into your baby form and how do you murder a baby kind of a thing? So Williams really put through the emotional ringer of making decisions uh, with that. But in this case, the time travel is not going to be about bouncing back and forth because I don't I always say like, OK, yeah, you can always keep going back and changing. It's more like forward. Uh, and it'd be more like just getting to wins, like you said, more than a um, I need to go to the future. It's like, well, I need to go to a win in order to uh, solve. And I think it's it's more about where is somebody right now in a win rather than traveling. And I need to go to 2068. I'm not trying to do that. It's a OK, time is a continuum. We've been on this call for about an hour and 18 minutes. So I think there's a, a me who was at an hour 17. What is he doing now? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's about location. So I'm locating somebody in a time continuum rather than traveling. So I try to keep it very uh, vanilla so that people don't ding me and say, oh, well, you know what? If that's the case, then why don't you just go back and kill, you know, Ghazi before he did anything? So it's not about that. Ghazi's in, an, um, in a time which is between life and death. And he's sitting there and he's happy to be there because he grows more and more powerful by trapping people before they actually cross over. And that's really what he's doing. Uh, so he's a little upset that they're coming to his world to uh, to throw off what he's been doing for this long. So eventually, as we continue with Hellfire, you'll see where he's going with his with his intention. Because, again, an antagonist uh, is an, is more intriguing when they have their own objectives and they're not just I just want to destroy the world. I just want to blow everything up. It's more uh, he has um, a goal. And he has a master plan and that master plan just has to uh, be in opposition of the master plan of the heroes. And as long as that happens, uh, they're almost like running neck and neck to try to accomplish the same thing, but in a different way. And uh, it makes Ghazi actually a very cool character where we just kind of put him out more of a savage in this first one. Uh, and we start to really dive in deep about what's uh, Ghazi's endgame. I think people are going to actually like him, you know, in some respects. And this is Metatron uh, Terra at the track. I'm getting the initial images on this. Like I said, we're about 60% through. And I'm really excited because um, uh, I think as an author, if you can put some of yourself in your stories, then you become the expert, you know, because what you write about, you need to be an expert in. So if you know yourself, uh, then obviously you can write this all day and nobody can really challenge you. So Lawrence told me from the beginning, he said, it was so funny. We did that. Um, the artist drew the image of the uh, Ford uh, down there, the car, and the grill was different. And he was like, 
I hate to be a stickler, but I really need that grill to look like this. And he sent me an image. I'm like, what is the grill of a car? You know, why is that important? But that was a piece of him. He really felt like that's his favorite car and it needed to, and if he had a chance to put that in uh, one of his comics, he wanted to put that car specifically for that reason that he wanted his main characters to drive. So uh, as you see in the background, there's a track there. So a lot of this takes place at the track. Um, Metatron is a, a really cool character because he's a young boy who uh, gets these powers um, and he actually has that blade in his hand that you guys can see and uh, the mystical blade and his character continues to um, develop more powers as the novel series goes on and he even has like a dog who has like special powers and so in this comic he says well actually it was in his his last his fourth his fourth novel metatron took on a whole new uh kind of costume vibe where he's like a little bit matrix a little bit um what's the guy from mortal kombat uh, uh, raiden kind of a vibe um mm -hmm. so he kind of pulled it like a little bit of a martial arts kind of a look uh so all of this stuff just happens this crazy acting happens at the track where you know they're up here race car driving and of course enemies show up at the most inopportune time. So now Metatron has to not only fight off the enemies, but he actually has to protect everybody around him too. So he becomes that, um, that, that titular hero that we always talk about where he's putting the needs of everybody else um, above himself, you know, because he wanted to win a race, but he obviously has to stop that um, while um, making sure that everybody else is safe as well. So um, I'm looking forward to this one because it's the same artist who did um Menzuo, but uh, I think he's partnered with a different colorist. So it has this real kind of noir kind of color scheme going on uh, that I'm just really, really excited about because I love the, the vibe. So it really brings um, on, an, uh, even though it's the same art style, um, just the difference in color gives it its own identity. So if people want to go to um, uh, Star Child, Star underscore child uh a star child underscore comics on ig they'll get a chance to see some of the artwork that i just shared on friday uh from menzuo i mean from metatron and of course they'll see all the other artwork we got like over 60 posts where people can see what we were working on like some of the story like well some of the um the progression where we go from pencil then we go to ink then we go to finished ink then we go to color then we go to a final page with um, with lettering. So they'll actually get a chance to see a lot of that stuff going on. So it's really, really cool. Fantastic. And um, like I said, Bundy and I had a chance to read two of those books, and we both enjoyed those quite a bit. Thank and we you. would just ask anybody out there who is interested in something different to give it a chance. Last year, we had a Wave Blue World on, another small uh, publisher, and they've created some amazing work and people miss out if they just want to go right. to DC and Marvel. But um, I think people should check out the Cosby media productions, dedicated superhero universe. Thank you. Boys. Do you have any last questions for him? We've kept him now for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Uh, I feel like go ahead. Monday. Yeah. I just say, I think we, 
if we don't know it all by now, I, I think uh, we weren't paying attention. You, you got to seem to have a good handle on everything. And I, I, reading what we read, kind of like I felt like I was dropped in the middle of something. I'm like, man, I want to know what 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 happened to get us here. So, yeah, might be checking some of that stuff out. Very cool. Excellent. I think Steve, we don't hear Steve. Yeah, I don't hear Steve. He's uh sorry. I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> For the best. Uh, uh, yeah, I just was saying if people want to get that, they need to go to cosbmediaproductions.com forward slash store and you can pick up those novels. Pick up the when are the comics actually available to purchase? If they want to pick up the novels and the comics now, they're actually on the cosmic those two. Um and duo and the cape are available. We'll ship those out to you as soon as they place the orders. And um, like I say, the other two, we'll have all four of them uh, ready um, by the end of the month. And what we'll do is we'll actually, like I said, if people just go to um, find us on Instagram and they like and they follow us, then they'll see all the updates. We're going to have trailers coming out soon for the comics and all the links and whatnot. So they'll get a chance to really be connected with what we're doing. Are you on Twitter as well? Yes. Uh, so let me see. I pull up Twitter. Uh, Twitter is just at Starchild Comics, and then um, Instagram is like you said, Starchild underscore Comics. And if they go to Facebook, it's uh, the same Starchild underscore Comics. Perfect. All right. I want to make sure people can find you because <clears throat> uh, you don't want to miss out on these new products. Anything you want to share that we have not been able to speak about so far, Mr. Cosby? Well, I think uh, I think that's I think that's it. I mean, I'm, um, you know, we're just excited. I just, you know, this is such a great venture for me, and um, you know, I, it takes me back to my childhood of wanting to do a comic when I was a kid and never thinking I could do it, um, and now to finally get. And what I'm most proud about is that I feel like we didn't put out junk. <laughs> you know, I feel like the stories are very good um, in the in the intention of, of driving people from, you know, one page to the next. I feel like that was done well. I feel uh, as if the dialogue wasn't on the nose. I'm real technical. So uh, this type of stuff, when we write screenplays and everything, it has to be done a certain way. So I feel like I, I kept that uh, very um, authentic to even transitioning to the comics. And I feel like the art was really, really good, you know? So as far as people investing in us and getting coming to our world and being a part of it, I think they're gonna get a quality product across the board from not just the storytelling, but also the art. And um, I think it's just gonna give them an opportunity to really see what we're about. So I'm, I'm excited. I'll be at Atlanta Comic-Con on the 18th, 19th and 20th uh, with a booth there <clears throat> selling and signing my stuff, but I'm also doing two panels uh, two panel discussions on uh, that Saturday. One will be uh, transitioning from novels to comics, which is what we've done, uh, and also uh, the power of the, the the page. You know, so basically, I'll be breaking down all the structural techniques of of writing a comic page from panel to panel and how we do that. So people will get a chance to really kind of learn the art of uh, what we've been able to put together. So I'm excited. I would agree about you had mentioned, you know, the direction and I thought the, the page composition 
was really done well and it did flow nicely from page to page. So I think you definitely accomplished that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, everything that we saw, which was, you know, some very small sampling, it looked professional. I mean, good quality. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Cosby, for coming on the show tonight. And thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is great. Absolutely. So this is out tonight. Tomorrow it'll be available for podcast, Wanderings and Wool Gathering. So you can find Wanderings and Wool Gathering on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, the Kokomo Lantern, Stitcher, CastBox, and SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, give us a review and subscribe. For music, movies, and comics reviews, head over to wanderingsandwoolgathering.com. We will see you next week when we review the latest from Ghost and we play Paul's Challenge. Until then, bye now. Goodbye. Thanks. Do we have outro music, Paul? Oh, yeah. This one lasts an hour, right, Paul? Two hours. Sweet.